All right, what's going on, everyone? Uh, today is episode number 600, and as you've maybe noticed, every 100 episodes, I have an, a podcast where someone interviews me um, to kind of let me update everyone where I'm at in my journey with uh, what was Forward Thinking City and Growth Meter that is now Seed Scout. And ultimately, it's a way to kind of track my progress over you know every month or two at a time. So this specific interview is actually on another podcast called the AZ Tech Podcast. It's a local podcast here in Arizona. And um, I I was on that podcast, and, and with the with the permission of that host Hamid, um, he has allowed me to to play it on my RSS feed. So you're gonna hear an intro for Easy Tech Podcast if you're in Arizona or not. Check out the Easy Tech Podcast, you know. Anyways, and I hope you enjoy this very very long and in depth interview about my thoughts on venture capital and all things startups. Welcome to the Easy Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Hamid Shojai. Let's go. All right, we're live with Matt Sherman, entrepreneur, podcaster, startup specialist. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm doing really well. Excited to be here. How about you? Awesome. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Um, let's actually get right into it. You, you've been doing a lot of different things. I first met you maybe four or five years ago when you sort of showed up on the startup scene in, in Phoenix. And I remember that um, thinking that like this guy is hustling, like right, like it seemed like you were hustling, trying to do something, trying to get something off the ground, and you're still doing that essentially. Like the other day, I saw a tweet from you, which sort of blew my mind. And you're like, "Is it crazy to have a goal of uh, doing five thousand podcasts in a year?" And to me, you know, I started laughing when I read your tweet, thinking like nobody can listen to five thousand podcasts in a year. But then, like the next day, I realized you have a podcast, and what you were really talking about is recording and publishing five thousand podcasts that you're doing with founders in a year. And then I thought you're absolutely nuts. And I remember replying to your tweet saying, "No, it's impossible," or like, you know, you know, that's crazy. And then you said, "Is it even a goal if it's not nuts or something to that effect?" So, let's jump into it with your podcast first. And you know, I know you've done Publoft and a bunch of different, uh, been involved with a bunch of different things. So, I'm going to start talking. You tell me. Let's start with the podcast. What is that all about? And then we'll we'll go into other topics as well. Sure. We'll we'll go back two years. About two years ago, I got my sixth Y Combinator rejection. Okay. And, you know, for various companies, mainly Publoft, um, which we'll maybe talk about later, which is, I would say, the most significant company I've worked on so far, um, excluding maybe what I'm doing now, which is stealth E. <laughs> um, but six years ago, I got rejected. Uh, my company got rejected. Jeremy and I got rejected from Y Combinator. But we had like $15,000 in MRR. We had great Bay Area customers. We, th we thought we kind of checked the boxes that they, that they needed, but still not even an interview. And this is the sixth time, you know, that, you know, five, five rejections before that. And I just got to this point where I'm like, I don't know why we didn't even get an interview. It doesn't make sense to me, but I don't have the decision. I don't have the decision power here, but I can. You didn't, you didn't get an interview for public. What was the startup? So the one that I'm referring to now, I, it, over the six projections, there was two startups. Okay. The one that I'm referring to now is Publoft, which okay. is the one that we, it's a real company. We got real revenue, real investors, real everything. So we just thought that we were going to get it. And, and it was at this point that when we got rejected, I'm like, 
I'm not putting it in their hands anymore. I got to take it in my own hands. So what I did is I started a podcast and interviewed about 20 Y Combinator alum. So I've, okay. I've interviewed Austin Allred, Kristen Tyrell, um, Kristen Anderson, she recently got married, um, uh, and, and Daniel Gross, all of these influential Y Combinator alum, just to kind of seed myself into the ecosystem. And that's how it started. It's taken a lot since then, but it started as a um, way to break into San Francisco Bay Area, and it's worked. Wow. So it, it, that's super interesting because you're like getting it rejected, but trying to figure out that's exactly what entrepreneurs do, right? Like they're trying to be resourceful, figure out a different way to achieve the same goal. Then what? So it's really interesting because I, I, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the podcast up to this point, maybe after 50 episodes. And I kind of haven't had a decision to make. Am I going to try to interview the biggest names possible and try to get a, make a really big podcast? Or was I going to keep trying to interview these smaller startups that that weren't very well known, but I kind of liked a lot. I, I liked what they were working on. And this one decision will will be the decision I'll look back on for the rest of my life as the right decision because I decided to interview the, the little guys, the, the, the little gals, the small, the smaller startups. So what I did is I started interviewing early stage founders before they've raised capital, maybe at their seat around, et cetera. And I just kept going. So, so for about a year, I mean, I did 200 episodes and... I, you know, through different sources, which we can chat about, I just have found these impressive companies. But things, and I guess like when things got really interesting is when I looked back and I saw that several, not one, not two, but potentially dozens of the companies that I interviewed had raised venture capital, not from nobodies, from Sequoia, from Andreessen Horowitz, from like all of like all of them. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So yeah, yeah that's that, that's when things got interesting for me. And, and are you asking them about like how do they go about doing their raises or like what made their company sort of like success or to not necessarily the company successful, but what what gave them success to that point to be able to do that raise? So because at the point I was more naive, I didn't know I was just interviewing founders, right? I didn't know they were that good or bad. I was just kind of doing my podcast for fun. So I, I can't answer that that question well. Um, but what I can say is all of these founders that I try to interview are what I classify as missionaries, at least most of them. And these are people that are on a mission. They're not trying, they're not mercenaries, but they're chasing an opportunity that is external to them. There's a problem they want to solve that's internal, and that's what drives them. And that's one of the core parts of the podcast is I think we live in a world of, of, a, of a lot of mercenaries, a lot of people that just ch chase money without any any real reason to. And I'm trying to highlight the ones that aren't. And I think that could be one reason why they found success later. But now, you know, I'm, I'm happy to share what's happened kind of since. I've done 550 now. And I, I'm a, I have more of a hunch on why these companies have found success. Um, but at this point, at episode 200, 250, I just had no idea what was going on. Like, how, how was I finding these companies as an outsider in Phoenix, Arizona? So it, it's crazy because this is like, I think, episode five, right? Uh, Adrian, we, we've done... This is the fifth episode of the podcast. I can't even imagine doing 500 episodes. And you've done 550 in less than two years. You're like pacing at what, three, four episodes a day now, which is mind-blowing. Just scheduling three or four founder interviews per day seems like a crazy task. Um, what have you learned in the first 250 episodes where now all of a sudden you're applying, you're, you're becoming essentially like this sort of have you read that book, Blink, uh, by Mal Malcolm Gladwell? A long time ago, 
I, I don't even remember the, pro- I did read it. I yeah. love Malcolm Gladwell. What was the premise of it? So it, it's this idea that like people become experts at something because of the amount of hours they put into to that particular subject. And essentially they see things there with the blink of an eye where, you know, you might look at a painting and say that's a fake or because that person has been doing that for like, a, a, you know, 20 years, but they can't tell you why it's a fake because it looks exactly like uh, the real painting. Um, and, I'm curious as to like the intuition you, that you're starting to build talking to founders. When you talk to a founder, is it like something that you can intuitively say, yeah, this guy is a missionary versus a mercenary and most likely they'll achieve their mission? Is that? So yes and no. So this is this is going down. This is a good path to go down because it's, it's, it's the path I've been exploring for the last year. So let's take it to maybe episode 300 or 400 like i i'm now tracking the startups that i've interviewed and 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 there's no fluke like i i'm on to something um so then i I, i'm thinking what makes these these founders different and for me there's kind of three things two or three things that i look for when i interview a, a founder and the first is before i even meet the founder they need to be in an interesting market if they're in a very um, boring. I, for my, in my opinion, right? My opinion isn't fact, but in my, it's my podcast. I can bring on who I want. If they're in a market that I'm not excited by, then I, I'm not going to interview them because I might not have the best questions. I might not be that interested. I also think because of that, the intuition, I kind of know what's coming around the corner um, because I've talked to all these early stage founders. So first is market. And then second, they come on and they're just. It's going to sound really, you know, weird to to you because you're a very you're you're very like normal person. Um, but a lot of people in tech are are not normal people. They play extreme stats status games to get you know outcomes that they probably don't deserve but get because they just play the, the game that they play the system and what I'm trying to do is find outsiders people that that did that have worked hard that have achieved a lot of success that haven't gotten what they've deserved um, and help them help them by having them on my podcast now what I've learned from that point and this is leads to me kind of what I'm doing now there's a lot of people that I interview that raise money and they're like, great, that makes total sense. They're, they're, they're a great founder. But there's more founders that never do raise money. And I'm like, that's really weird. Why did that founder not raise money? And this is a question, this, this question has taken me down a winding path for the last eight months. Like this is what I've been working on. Answering that question has been take, is the path I've been down for the last eight months. I'm still going on that, down that path today. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is that a lot of founders don't raise money because that's not an easy option for them, right? Like, have you found that to be true? Because of like, if you're an Arizona startup, for example, for the past 20 years, it hasn't been an easy option to raise money, right? Like you often have to have a proven product or revenues or something to to be able to even raise. And by then you're like, well, maybe I'll just go a little bit longer and and then a little bit longer. That's basically how I uh, created Axosoft organically. That's spot on. Uh, I mean, I agree with every word you just said. Uh, additionally, what I've learned, and I'm like, I've kind of found myself, I, I guess you could call me an insider now. Like, I work with extreme insiders, I work with Silicon Valley legends. Like, I, like, I kind of know how the game works now. And I would even, the one thing I wouldn't agree with what you just said is if you ask a true insider in Silicon Valley, all they don't even care about the business when they invest all they care about is who you know and who is vouched for you which makes sense it's a, it's a trust circle but i think there's a lot of flaws to that system um so you know going back to Publoft and getting rejected from y combinator fifteen thousand dollars in mrr in like three months this is not over years this is months 
how could we not get an interview? And it was that moment after the sixth ejection where I just, that's when I kind of started the podcast and started exploring. And it, it, I, I it, what I found is, is, is a biggest mistake of an industry I ever could have, you know, ever thought of discovering. Like, like the way that tech has unfolded is so unfortunate. I think there's a lot of people now that are trying to course correct it um, to be more fair to, to founders because it's very in, too investor friendly right now, in my opinion. Really? Uh, in the Bay, specifically, in the Bay Area, yeah. Well, actually, let's dive into that a little sure. bit because some of the extreme successes, like wh whether it's uh, been uh, Facebook or Google, or um, it, it does seem like the founders have tremendous control and oftentimes have even more uh, voting rights than their uh, percentage of uh, shares. Like Mark Zuckerberg is like basically the dictator of um, Facebook. And... That's by design, and basically the investors allowed for that to happen. So explain a little bit what you mean by that when, when you say, like, uh, it's investor-friendly versus founder-friendly. It's – so I my lens – a lot of people look at – a lot of people have frameworks in life, but that's a very normal thing. Uh, one of the most important frameworks that I use for evaluating founder is, like, insider-outsider. Uh, when I say insider, I'm talking about, like, you're in the – like, if specifically inside the Bay Area or outside the Bay Area. And I still I, – maybe I'm an insider, maybe not an outsider, I don't know. But if you're an insider um, and you're able to get access to certain types of people, 100%. It's a founder's market. Like, like, like absolutely. Like, there's more capital in the world right now than ever. Um, founders can raise at giant valuations. It's like – it is a founder's market. With that said, it has never been more false for anyone that doesn't have that access. Um, and this is 99% of the world. And this is where we have diversity problems in tech because um, I mean, I'm happy to get, I think a, a lot about this, but it's like most people can't break in. And most people, you need to have an immense amount of privilege to be able to like put in the years and years and years, like what I've done, like I'm, I'm a lucky guy. I, I've been able to, to I mean, I've, I've worked hard. I've made, I've made my own money for the last six years. But there's things that have allowed me to go as deep as I've gone. And most people can't go that far. And then they just stop. And that's unfortunate. It shouldn't be like that. Let's actually talk a little bit more about that because now, now it's getting interesting, right? First of all, I want to know how deep have you gone? <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> right? So... There's things that I can't share. There's people that I work with that I can't share because of that, not because I'm an ego, because they've requested that I don't share yet. Um, but I, I've gone deep. I, you, you mean like investors, uh, things with investors or uh, other? So I, so let me, I'll, I'll take it back to the podcast. Okay. I've used the podcast as a tool to uh, to connect to to as many people as possible with influence and I, and I have interviewed about 20 San Francisco investors as well but I think where things really got interesting is when I got into when we got in when 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 Publoft got into Jason Calacanis's accelerator about two years ago this is when my, my world was opened up to how the Bay Area actually worked okay step back for a second sure. Say, what is Publoft so that so Publoft was a content marketing marketplace that connected writers to startups who needed their blogs managed. It's changed since then, um, but that's what it was, and that's kind of the pop off that I'll always kind of know and love. So at some point, you pitched it to Jason Calacanis. This is a good. This is a good story in itself. I have I have lots of stories. Um, I first cold emailed Jason Calacanis in April or May of 2017 when I first started Publoft. 
Um, you know, I, I think I'm sure the email was something along the lines of like, we're $5,000 in revenue. I'm in Phoenix. There's no investors. You know, just like me, like kind of whining, you know, wh whatever I was back then. I'm like, hey, please invest. And he didn't answer. So I, I like hit him up again and again and again. After the third email, he's like, hey, this is great. Put me on your update. And uh, I kind of just kept him updated monthly for a year and a half. This is a, uh, I also hopped on his podcast as a guest a couple of times as a guest call in. Um, and I also showed up to one of his, I worked very hard. Like I, I worked my ass off to, um, to, to get, to win Jason over. And I wrote a, a post about it. And at the end of the day, he said, I'll invest in you. Uh, because, you know, a bet on the founder and it's almost like more annoying to not invest in you <laughs> than invest in you. And, you know, it's unfortunate because it didn't, it still didn't work out. Like it would have been a great story if it would have turned into that, that billion dollar company. And it didn't. But I always look at Jason as the, 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 fir the truly the first person to give me a shot. And I will never forget that. And he will, I will always owe him. I will always, I, he always has a spot on my future cap tables or future LP. He, he, he's earned everything, you know, for, for my respect, you know? Um, so you go, so, 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 so you think Jason is the exception to that role that you were talking about earlier, which is basically, it's all sort of insider driven as far, as far as, but Jason sort of like is the outlier investor who's looking for angels, allows anyone to pitch to him. There is. Jason's one of the, I would say there's, I can, I can even talk about some if you want. There's like, Ten, off the top of my head, like 10 VCs that I think are actually original thinkers that I think that actually will lead, that actually, you know, do what Jason did. Like, Jason didn't have to. Like, it was a risk for him, and it still didn't work out, but he still did it. Um, and he does it every – he does it all the time. He he loves he loves startups more than I do. And like, I, right. I, you know, he, he's, he's – we're almost similar. Like, he started off yeah. in podcasting. And he has know? a syndicate. And That's there's right. like, thousands of people investing with him now. That's right. Um, so Jason is – sometimes misunderstood by people because of his ego, um, which he will be the first to admit he has an ego. But Jason is a phenomenal investor and a phenomenal human being. And I got lucky to the chance to work with him and meet his network. I Because of him, going back to the inner circle, I pitched Sequoia. I pitched Greylock. I meet these people in person. I pitched Andreessen Hort. I, 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 I know people. like Because of the, 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 the hard work plus luck that I've experienced over the last three years, um, so I'm happy to talk about more about what I know and who I know and whatever, but like, I just, I'm deep and I think deeper than some people think I am cause I'm in Phoenix, but I, I've got, I've gone pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So going back to, you, you know, uh, what do you think needs to be there for an entrepreneur to be able to penetrate that wall as you did? It's a great question. So I, I have a few, a few thoughts. In order to do what I've done with the resources that I've that I've had, which is very little, like start, like I started Publoth on two credit cards. I think when that failed, I started it again and quit my like I, I never had much money to to play with here, um, no money. Um, I, so I started with nothing um, in regards to tech. Um, you need to be able to be so intrinsically motivated that you can spend the next five to ten years of your life with most people not understanding what you do or why you do it or how you do it and being okay with that. Um, I think that's the first, I think that people don't understand how crazy of a path this is to act, to truly break into the center specifically of the Bay area. I don't think that's like actually a good goal anymore to be candid. Um, I've learned, I've, I've seen things and I've learned things and I have I've updated my worldview, but to follow my path, 
you need to be able to sustain a lot of uncertainty for a while. But in regards to how do you actually- is, Isn't that true for entrepreneurship in general? Like, I mean, don't people yep. have to be essentially what you were talking about earlier, which is mission driven. Like yep. if it's your mission to do something or solve a particular problem, you don't care that you're getting rejections or, you know, whatever. You're just, you know, you're like, the world needs saving because of X, Yep. right? It's one of these things though, where at some point money runs out and then that's where the hard conversations come. That's where it's like, what do you do? Do you, can you find another investor? Do you have a credit card? Do you have a family member? I think that, I think you, you can be a missionary, but you have to keep paying. You have to keep it going. You have to be responsible and live your life. And th this is one other thing I'll share in regards to answer your question. I'm one of the best decisions I made in my short career so far is doing all this right out of college. I had no responsibilities. I could take this massive, massive, stupid risk. Because what do I have to lose? And that worst case scenario, you can sleep on a couch. It's not a big deal. You don't have two kids who, and a wife, and uh, you know people who depend on you that, to support and all that. Hundred percent. And I knew I knew this, so I'm like, I got to take a shot. And I'm also been so like I'm rambunk. I'm, I think I'm a typical entrepreneur in regards to like I, you know, ambitious and I'm rambunctious. I'm like, why not me? Right. That's what Chamath Chamath says. So. Um, that's that's another thing I would say. If you want to break into startups or just entrepreneurship, forget the Bay Area. I do want to talk about you know my updated view on the Bay Area because I did uh, idolize it, and I have since um, changed my my view on it. Um, but if you want to break into entrepreneurship, you need to be able to take as much risk as you can sustain in your life. If you don't take risk, you're not probably going to get what you want. And if you do, it'll take a lot longer than you will would have it would have otherwise. Um, no risk, no reward. I fully subscribe to this. Right. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, it's interested in breaking in, is you got to be like I hate to say it, but it's just true. You got to be lucky. Like I mean, like you have to, like the world, like the world is a lot of luck and most people aren't incentivized to admit it, but I'm lucky to be born in the family I've born. I'm lucky to get the first customer, Jeremy's side, to bet, take a bet on me as a pub for $240 a month. I'm lucky that Jason took, I, like, I'm, 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 I'm a lucky guy. Sometimes you can make your own luck, but at the end of the day, sometimes luck runs out and, and sometimes things aren't fair. Mike you know? Roberts and I had a great conversation about how like luck is an integral part of any success. I mean, like just, where you're born and your parents totally. and the level of uh, regard that they had for education or, you know, like their history and all of that stuff definitely comes into play. And even then, just being in the right place at the right time, uh, of course, luck favors the prepared and the prepared part is where the hard work comes in. So with, without the preparedness, without the hard work, you can't allow luck for, for luck to have an impact. But luck does play a huge role in it. I totally agree. So what what's your sort of modified view of uh, the Bay Area now? So, as you may remember, I mean, we we didn't know each other super well four years ago. We definitely we definitely had conversations and whatnot. But I think most people knew me as the guy that was like, "Hey, like let's make Phoenix more like the Bay Area. Like we want to make a great startup ecosystem. We got to be like them because they're doing something right." And I still agree with that in a very small way and like in in, in ways. But what I've learned since penetrating the Bay Area is that the Bay Area is full of a tons of people that are not like normal that are not normal these are not normal people these are people that were brought up in a way where status they, they were fooled that status is the currency and they all chase it and it, they play games um, until they get that status and once they get that status they make a certain amount of money 
And once they make that certain amount of money, they protect everything. They protect the system because it made them money. And uh, and that is what's been happening since Fairchild Semiconductor got founded, you know, 60 years ago. Not literally. I mean, it, it's obviously been growing. But there are people that are making tons of money in the Bay, and they don't want anyone else to know what's going on. And uh, Let me, let me sure. challenge, challenge please, your view. Please, please, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. So is it possible that these things sort of like naturally occur as a result of, you know, like successes that then go out and seek, you know, Fairchild Semiconductor founders, they become super rich, they're sort of seeking the next generation of investments, they get pitches from all sorts of different people, eventually they support some, but then like you start building an ecosystem that does have some level of trust or, you know, like um, the in factor, you know, if you introduce me to a founder, chances are going to be more that I'm going to actually take that call, right? Because there's some level of respect that people have for one another. So don't these things sort of naturally occur anyway in any kind of ecosystem? So this is where the founder side comes out of me. Um, okay. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you're, this is how it is in Hollywood. It's how it is in Nashville. Right. And it's how it is in San Francisco. Um and then, and then in Hollywood, every now and then you have the waiter waitress story that like yep. makes it out of nowhere, right? But fundamentally, the, it ends up being a relatively closed system with, you know, over time. Oh, yep, I, I agree. So I have, t- I have two thoughts. One, this is just such a such a founder thing to say, but like it it, it was closed off to me, right? And I I didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> um. And it's and I know a lot of people that it shouldn't be closed off to, but it is. So I think it's one of these things where it's like, yeah, this it makes sense that this is how it works. Doesn't mean it's fair. And life right. isn't fair, but like. I have a free will. I can do what I want about how life works. And this is, you know, great founders. And we'll see if I'm a great, we'll see in time if I'm a great founder. But great founders bend the world against their will. They like, they like Steve, like Steve Jobs, like, I mean, any of them, any of them, they bend the world against their will. And, and that plus the fact that COVID happened and many things are online and Bay Area is not what it once was, I think is an opera. I've heard a post about this. There's an opportunity to change the course, to hit the reset button on this yes. stuff. I wrote and and I wrote a, a very I wrote a post on this and yeah. it's a chance and I'm 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 hustling to 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 and I'm hustling very hard to like capitalize on this uh, what I call a hard fork in in the world to make sure that the fork continues because what's happened in the last year for outsiders is nothing short but a miracle because now outsiders get access to the same access that Bay Area founders get and it's beautiful and it's gonna go away if nothing no one does anything about it and that's kind of well, my yeah. Is it going to go away, though? Because like, I actually was going to ask you about this. Because sure. of COVID, things have changed pretty significantly. Yep. First of all, a lot of people have moved from California, a lot of billionaires who, for whatever reason, whether they want to save on 16% state taxes or whatever it is, um, or other reasons, uh, you know, have started to move out of California or the Bay Area. So what are your thoughts about that? And So there's... There's two thoughts on this, just in general, and, and I don't know which one is going to happen. But I'll tell you the one that I that I that I think is more likely. So there's a thought that when COVID is over, which I think is kind of coming up, hopefully in the next six months, ho- hopefully, um, people will realize that city living is, like they'll all move back, they'll all go back. I'm not talking about everyone. Like you might have been referring to Keith Raboy. Like Keith Raboy is not going back. To, well, so Keith Raboy is a very famous founders fund investor, and he pretty he moved to uh, he moved to Miami. And he's pretty much trying to rally everyone to move to Miami, and it's working pretty well. 
But I think what's going to happen is what could happen is COVID ends. And then, then over the next year, people are like, you know, San Francisco is great. Let's go back to San Francisco. <laughs> this, but that's not what I want. That, that that's not what I want because I don't. I'm not. I'm in Phoenix, right? And and, and there's people all, like I talk to people in Nigeria, Africa, the UK, all every day. You know, from my podcast. What I want is there. I mean, it's going to sound weird to like quote unquote normal people. But there is a, you know, I want the internet to continue to kind of eat the world. And because when the internet eats the world, it means there's more access to other people that don't have, for example, like people, there's so many smart founders in Africa, but they're in Africa. Like they don't have, they don't have some of the same access. That sucks. Yeah. You know, so I think that I'd like to see a world where the internet takes more command, you know, not just not just how it's been, but what, what else can it do for us? You know, that's kind of what I hope happens. So I'm with you. Um, I just, I think it'll be a little blend of both. Yeah, that that's very cool. Um, all right, let's uh, let's talk. Anything else you want to say on this subject before we move on to Publoft? It, it's 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 just one thing that this is kind of the drama I've been beating, um, and it's gonna it might sound weird, weird to you, but I, I, it is I think true. For every any founder listening to this that does see all the big names in San Francisco, including Jason Calacanis, so that I have experience with him and I think he's great. There's a giant back channel of things that happen, just like in any industry, but specifically San Francisco and the, and the VC world of of what how things actually work. And there's a lot of people that are making sure that that doesn't get out to to, to um, naive founders like me and you and you know other people listening. Um, and I just just don't make the same mistake that I made three years ago of being so wide-eyed, thinking the Bay Area is is the best. That's exactly how things should work. Let's make, let let's go there at all costs. You know, it's not it's it's not exactly what you might think it is. And I, happy to hit me up on Twitter if you, if you want to chat about that. But it's not all it's not all how how it looks. <laughs> okay. Um, I do want to actually uh, ask a follow up about that sure. because you you said there's there's a lot of back channels. What what are you uh, what do you know about what's happening in the back channels? Feel, feel free to like just talk about that a little bit. So there's a war in VC right now between VCs. The war is between uh, o- older VCs um, or older firms like big firms, Sequoia, Andreessen Horowitz, um, uh, you know, Lightspeed, you know, all, all these like these very established firms that have. I've learned recently, I'm not going to share any names or anything, but there is a lot of bad actors in these firms because they could, they could get away from it. It's the private markets. You know, right. it's, the, it's private. But there's Bad the, actors how, though? Like bad actors by— They screw, screw founders. They lie to founders. They, 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 they talk to a founder. They learn all about their company, and they're like, great, we're going to pass. And they pass it on to a competitor and fund that competitor. They, 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 they are— Every single way you can screw a founder, they screwed founders. And this is again, I'm not saying this is unique to any any industry, but this is my. It comes back to like this is my industry, right? So right. I I care. Um, so it's just why do they have such good reputations? Because they're so powerful. Because who has an incentive? I'm just gonna. I'll use Jason as an example because I've already right. spoken highly of him, um, and I and I truly mean it. But I'll use him as an example. Let's say he he did something bad to a founder hypothetically. Jason has 400,000 followers. He has all these investors in his, his syndicate. What what what's going to happen if you if you say, "Hey Jason, like, you know, you did this bad thing. I'm going to do this." He's going to be like, "Hey, like, he's going to use his power." This is I don't like using I like I, I, this is a bad example cuz I like Jason, but there's people that use their power and their net worth to to hush things. And there's a situation I will I will this is 
very insider information, and I won't share names because I don't. I won't share names. But there was a situation with Stitch Fix that one of the feces involved and the founder a lot went down. And I, I can't I, like, but that, like that's a common company we all know. But even like there, there, there's a lot happens that we don't know about, and there's a right. lot that I don't know about. And I think it's just, it's just. But there's a difference between th- shit happening and, uh, and and sort of like uh, malintent, right? There's a lot the, of the, so there's so, a lot of malintent. Like I, because I well, well yeah, okay. Sorry. So this is this is where I want to push back because if you know something that that you know, like uh, for, for examples of malintent might be kind of interesting to talk about because you know Andreessen Horowitz, uh, the names Andreessen and Horowitz. Andreessen like started Netscape, and yep. he's like the creator of the World Wide Web, essentially not. Tim Berners-Lee, but the first browser, right? Uh, and this guy got screwed as a founder in a variety of different ways, but um, he also persevered, became, you know, like extremely successful. Uh, he is a founder that I think, like, is a founder advocate, right? Would you agree with that? Oh, 100. But he's the A16Z is the firm that pioneered we don't fire CEOs. Okay. So, so, yes. so you know, but it I, seems like a lot of these VCs are. Uh, not only like um, uh, pro-founder, but they're, they're they're making it okay, and even uh, they're making it so that like people now accept tech founder CEOs, whereas yep. that wasn't a thing, you know, twenty years ago. Hundred percent. You know, like the tech guy was like considered the tech guy. He doesn't understand how to run a company. Let's bring in a seasoned manager to actually run it. You know, and Mark Andreessen was actually subject of something like that, right? Because he was the tech founder, so they brought in the uh, old—I uh, forget the guy's name—but the guy who had created Silicon Graphics or something to come in and run uh, Netscape. Yep. Right. So, uh, you know, I like—I'm not sure I completely buy what you're saying, right? But so I have a question: Have okay. you ever fired an employee in your life? Yeah, of course. So, in a company. It's so I'll preface it by saying I, I haven't. So I'm these are some some assumptions, but you'll see where kind of where I'm going here. Right. Um, if you you hire someone because they make a good impression on you, and and you hire them however you hire them, and then you realize you made a mistake and you, and you fire them. Mark Andreessen is probably one of the best actors in the, in, in the history of venture capital, and so is Ben Horowitz. But there is a, over a hundred people that work at Andreessen Horowitz, if not two hundred. Right. And what happens is because a VC is a very independent type of industry, there are things that Mark, I'm not, there's nothing in my brain that I'm thinking. I'm not that much of an insider, but there's things that happen with Mark's partners that he doesn't know about because he's so high. I see what you're saying. And and because. but but, But I guess like what I'm hearing you say is that like it's a systemic problem because like. These comp- these organizations are big, and there's le- lots of bad actors in them. But like, you don't necessarily you know of like several far and few in between, right? Like, that's not I I that's not true. I that's not it. I you think it's much more I can't widespread. Sh- I can't, I can't than, share. I I, I guarantee you. I, I can't sh- like there's things that I can't share. Um, I I'm work I work with a person that everyone listening to this podcast has heard of. And I, I can't share who I just like I, it's I need to like make it clear that like I'm not just speculating. Right. I work with an insider of insiders, and he t- he and this is this is how it is. 
Um, gotcha. I, I just I I need you to believe me on that. <laughs> no, no. Okay, I'll t- I'll take your word for it. But like what you're saying is essentially that there's, uh, you know, both good actors and bad actors. Of course, and lots of some good of actors. these companies are so powerful that it's very easy to sweep the bad actions under the rug. Like, let me give you a very easy example. Okay. Um, like like a very very simple example of a seed stage startup. Um, that is at fifteen thousand dollars in MRR. Like, let's say Publa, for example. Um, we, we based on our, uh, let, but let's say there's a more seasoned CEO, like not me. I, I wasn't seasoned. Um, if we were based, you know, anywhere outside of the Bay, um, what could happen? And this isn't horrible. This isn't horrible, but it is, I think, questionable. Um, you know, VCs could talk to them, like, oh, there's this company, but they're outsiders. Let's put them through an accelerator so they get worse terms. We get more equity, and let's put them through that pipe because if we funded them directly, um, there would be less upside for us. That's mm-hmm. something that, like that. That's one. Not that's not horrible. That's business. You know, it's fine. But there is that's one easy example, and I, I think over through the conversation, I might be able to come up with a few more. It's just these are things that I don't want to. I've gotten so far into the, the, the game that I definitely don't want to um, – I, I, I kind of in some ways protecting some things that I know about how things work. But I guarantee you – But and there's one, one other thing I'll say. You don't have to – don't take it from me If because going back to the war, of the, the, the war between VCs. It's not a war between me and them. Right. It's a war between um, institutional VCs and emerging managers. There's a t- hundreds of fantastic people – that have started funds in the last three years, every single one of whom are see the same problems that I've seen, and they're trying to fix it by starting their own funds. I, I can okay. I can I can name fifteen of them. I'm friends with all of them. I That's mean, there's awesome. way more than fifteen. But they're Hustle Fund, um, Alpha Bridge VC, Matt Conwell's fund, the Lockheed Groom fund. Like like I like you don't have to take it from me. Just anyone I just mentioned, follow them. Right, you know, it's there. There's this, and there's this interesting intersection of. At so what, these guys are trying to solve these problems that you're talking about. Yeah, like all the, these emerging VCs are good people, and I'm not saying older VCs are bad people, but right. there are a lot of bad people that are in VC now that have just settled, and a lot of emerging VCs that aren't cool with it. <laughs> right, right. Also, do you fire the guy that got a thousand time return for you or something like that? That that happens with older VCs. Exactly, and that exactly right. Okay. I mean, yeah, you, I, I mean, you, I see I, what you're saying. Um, and it's very new. It's 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 a, it's a weird game, but just like most most, you know, Hollywood is probably very similar. Like right. you know, I, I'm that's not. The, that's why the like Weinstein uh, um, people like last for so long is because yep. Yeah. So I'm not saying this is unique to tech. It just comes back to like this is the industry I picked right. to enter. So I'm gonna try to solve some problems. All right, that's that's awesome. And you know, kudos to you for for uh, going after solving some of these problems because they are challenging problems to solve. And it does seem like some ecosystems eventually lead to places where those kind of problems thrive. Unfortunately, which is uh, unfortunate. I do have a high hope, though. I, I based on what what I know, uh, who, who's who's entering the space, who cares, startups. I think that things are gonna uh, uh, what is it cur- uh, go back to the the middle a little bit. I think they're gonna they've been a little too far into like the insider realm, take advantage of things, and I do think there's so many people that are fighting against that. It'll correct a little bit, and things will be much better off than they are now in the next like five ten years. That's awesome. So there's hope. There's a lot of hope. Yeah, lot, <laughs> lot, lot. There's a small army, if not a large army, of, of emerging managers that are going at it. Okay. All right. Let's talk about Publoft a little bit. So sure. you, you, you know, you've mentioned it several times. Uh, it's the company you co-founded or founded and brought in a co-founder. Founded, brought in a co-founder. Okay. And, and tell us about that experience. And I, I know it's not uh, you're not part of it anymore. So like, 
walk us through that. Sure. Well, this is the start of my entrepreneurship, my, my real my real business career. You know, I did a company called Schmooze, which never made a dime. You know, okay. you, you may sound, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but Publoff was the first company that I actually did full time. So what happened is I was working with a wonderful company called Endless, uh, Endless Entertainment at the time, now called Endless Events. Uh, with an amazing boss, Will Curran. I, I, I'm sorry, Will, for being, being so hard, hard as hard of an employee. Um, if, uh, yeah, huge shout out to Will. He's a great, a great guy uh, and a great boss. Um, but I'm, a, I am who I am. I, I'm a very ambitious and I think overconfident person. And I was working this job with Will, you know, doing sales for event production, and I um, didn't want to do it anymore. And I've been writing content on the internet for the last like, year at this point. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to write content for other for startups. Like, what a stupid idea. Like, I don't know. I, like, it was a stupid idea to start, but I quit my job. And I had two credit cards, to, I had two credit cards and not much savings. And I just started cold emailing Y Combinator companies to, to, to write for them. And soon after, I got a couple. And then things snowballed a little bit. And uh, um, I had a, I had a company, but it was just me. So just to clarify or to remind everyone, we were writing content for for startups. So our first customer was Fountain at the time it was Onboard IQ, but our, our third or fourth customer was 500 startups. The first customer gave us a referral to 500 startups, and they nice. gave me five thousand dollars. And I'm like, this is great. Like this is more money than I've had <laughs> in my bank account in a long time. Um, but what what happened is it was just me, and I'm not an organized person. I'll be the first to admit it. And I was running the whole ship alone. It was it, I was great at sales. So it was growing, but the whole operation was a mess. Um, and I did have a co-founder for a few like, like before before someone I'll about to I'll be about I'll mention in the future Jeremy I had a co-founder which wasn't as serious just to help you with some things for this first version but I was way too raw I was too confident I was too bad at my job I was just everything and that plus some health issues um after about eight or nine months it failed which sucked because we had something Okay. So what happened is I got a job at a company you're probably familiar with. The CEO, I think, is actually right, right. You know, the CEO I think is around. Um, uh, I got a job at Chassis. Oh, okay. Um, and this is when I was first starting. Cool. And just kind of a, I, I was kind of a wreck at this point. You know, for for various health and non-health reasons, and also my company just failed, and lots of things were going on. So I worked there for about four or five months. Um, I I wasn't I wasn't it wasn't that great of a, I think a fit. Of I didn't really know what I was doing. It was a little abo- above uh, the what we were doing at Chassis. It didn't make sense to me that much, and I wasn't. I thought I could figure it out, but I couldn't. So what I did is I, I quit Chassis about five months in, maybe yeah, about five months in, and started Publoft again. I did a few things differently. I raised prices by four x, literally. Like I, I so I, instead of doing two hundred fifty dollars for a blog post, I did a thousand dollars for a blog post. Okay. I got a co-founder. Um, his name is Jeremy, who is a, an operations master. And, and I still believe that. And we 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 started, um, and I just did the same playbook from the first time, the second time, but with with Jeremy's help and with my updated view and with the new prices. And to zoom out for a second, we went from zero to twenty four thousand dollars a monthly recurring revenue in seven months with nice. no no ads, no investment, no no not even you know just hustling. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, and there's a lot we could go into there if you want. If we don't, yeah, that's fine. But ultimately, at, at the point where we got to twenty four thousand dollars a a year, 
um, we we were at the top of the world. We were very high on our own steam. You know, we were like you, you know, could very, pay yourselves. Like yep. you could actually pay your bills. Kind of. So okay. so this is where we we're both very. Neither of us have much business experience. Like. I, I, we are good at what we're good at, but we don't know what we're not good at. Right. And we did not know how to run a company. I mean, I didn't know how to run a company. Jeremy knew how to run a company more than I did. Um, but he, that's why he, but he was kind of doing operate. He was like helping with operation stuff. Um, and it was working. And at 24K a month, we we got, for based on a few events that happened, we got an invite to Jason's accelerator, Jason, the, the, the investor. And this is where everything this is where everything the moment we got in things went downhill for us not because okay. of jason so so getting vc money is that or angel money is not necessarily a good thing no <laughs> and I, I want to clarify one more time because i have so much respect for him jason and his team like handled everything so well but what happened is we get the moment we get the hundred it was a hundred grand investment we get a hundred grand i immediately hire a salesperson to replace me <laughs> Jeremy immediately hires a ops person to replace him. We have no idea how to train them, but we do our best. We spend time fundraising. Um, but what happens is fun, you know, investors say we're a service-based company. Um, the person that I hired wasn't bringing in sales because I didn't know how to train him. So we weren't growing. We weren't doing well fundraising. The operations were falling apart because we delegated. And there was a little bit of a power struggle between Jeremy and I on like because things weren't going well, which is fair. That's right. fair. Um, but what the thing that really that really um, that really screwed us is we spent too much money. Right. Uh, we were very reckless with what what we spent money on, just like two, you know. And and we can talk about. I'll, I'll tell you just kind of the, in short what what happened. But feel free to dive into anything that's interesting. We got. We took a twenty-four thousand dollar MR company and a hundred grand from one of the best accelerators in, in in the Bay, and by the end of the year, we we were working jobs. So it it uh, it, it didn't it didn't work out, and uh, I would I, I'll take the full blame for the for the for the business kind of dying. Um, I I think I you know I'm the CEO, Let, right? Let's talk about what you did wrong though, because sure. like I think these are important things, lessons sure. that you know like other entrepreneurs can learn from, right? You, um, first of all, learning lessons is what it's all about, right? And and that's what uh, they they usually say. Every successful entrepreneur has a number of failures before they, yep. they become successful, and and the reason they that those failures are a requirement almost is because you need to learn some hard lessons, you know, like you, you need to learn that spending money too fast is doesn't make sense. Or just because you hire someone doesn't mean you can like step away from that role. The, the whole sort of like micromanagement is a requirement for founders, especially for quite some time. In, in fact, some successful founders like Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or Jobs never get out of the minutiae details of micromanaging, right? That's the biggest criticisms that they also get. So let's talk about some of the lessons that you took away from uh, some of that. Well, I'll start with the money. Okay. When you get money, you should never expect to get more money. Like, because like we, we got into the launch accelerator, we were overconfident thinking, oh, we're going to raise money. Like, this is great. You know, let's, 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 let's. And, I, we we wouldn't admit it at the time, but at the time we were thinking like let, like great like let, let's let's go big. So we got a, a probably a nicer Airbnb than we should have. We used a, a, a I don't know if you've heard of Atrium, but we used like a law firm that was very techy and expensive that we should, should probably shouldn't have used. It's in shutdown. Um, we 
hired immediately i hired a five thousand dollar linkedin marketer um to help help us with stuff but i didn't know how to manage that relationship we got zero dollar roi not because of them um and it, what it comes down to is i wasn't able to admit that i had no idea how to do business i didn't go to business school i don't know how to code i don't have that i, I, I do now but at the point i didn't have that many mentors helping me with these things i had no idea what i was doing just like flowing money around. So that's the first thing. If you don't like you business, like there is a place for. I'm not saying you need to be, do an MBA before you start a startup, but like there's a place to understand business. Like there's a very important place if you're doing a startup. That's the first thing. Right. Say so the second is the, the 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 hiring and the the training. Um, I thought that if I hired someone and just let them know how it all works and just kind of let them do their thing, they'll they'll be as good as me or or eighty percent as good as me, and that's that's not. That's not that's not how it works. It takes maybe three, if not six. I mean, you you know better answer here. You've done this, but it takes much longer than a month or a few weeks to train someone and make sure they're operating at full full capacity. Um, I think the uh, one other lesson that I've learned is most of the things I just mentioned don't even matter um, if you just stay focused. Like like a lot of founders are so sporadic, but they're so like enthusiastic and they're so inspirational and they're so good at getting people hyped up, those mistakes don't even necessarily matter. As long as they stay focused and can just keep people hyped up around them and keep make sure revenue is going up and like and make sure everyone's happy. What but the issue is that mid accelerator, and I'll take full blame for this. I, I'll take blame for a lot of this stuff. I things weren't going well with the company. We lost a big customer for, for various reasons, etc. I decided to that we were going to pursue a different opportunity that I think was was a better opportunity for us, which is funny because in hindsight, it was the right, it, it was actually the right move. Um, it you was, wanted to pivot the company? So the issue is that, the issue was and is, content is a nice to have for startups. It's good, SEO is good, but the value is so long to get. You could not build a venture-backed company on that, in my view, right. from, from my experience. And I realized this, I'm like, okay, like, shoot. Like, you know, we, we gotta, need to pivot. Yep. Yep. Okay. And, and I should. We shouldn't have. Uh, but live and learn. Um, but I, I. I started thinking about the writers that we had, and they like, like you know, their careers, and how can we get them paid more, and things like that. So we pivoted to like a freelancer focused brand, which is funny because a year later, the creator tools and creator economy is blowing up. So it was the right move. It was, uh, which is unfortunate. It was just there are dynamics in the company between. Jeremy and I and a co-founder we brought on to help us build a, a, a tool that we couldn't get anything off the ground. Um, and then morale died and then it just kind of ended. Uh, ran out of money. And ran out of money and we tried to go. And there's actually, this is a fun story. We, we, I remember the day that Jeremy. <laughs> Quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. This, that's funny. Um, the day that Jeremy, Jeremy's good with numbers. That's one thing. He's very good at numbers. Um, and there was a day he told me, like, oh, we just can't appear in a very the way that made was a good way to communicate he said oh yeah we just can't pay ourselves anymore like like we're we you know based okay. on this 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 you know it's done and i'm like <laughs> okay and i was i kind of i don't know i should have already known that but what i did is such a such a stupid part of my career i i i, I took my car <laughs> i took my car and i drove up to san francisco <laughs> And I just, with the mindset of, I'm going to find some investors, um, it's such a bad, it was just a very impulsive, very bad idea. Like I spent so much money that I didn't like credit, things like that. Mm. But I needed that 
to realize that this company was done. I needed I needed that. Right. I you know I I don't I I, I wasn't I had so much money on that trip, but yeah. So it's like revenues are down, uh, we're out of money, and you're thinking perfect time to go raise some funds because I can get investors excited about a company that has no revenues and out of money. <laughs> That's where I was. I was not in a good. I was definitely not in the right mind or in a good. This right. is after. Not, this is why you're saying it's like not. A, it wasn't a good idea. Oh no, it was a bad idea. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. This was not. This was a hard, rough time. This was 2019 was a very rough what, year. What for should me. you have done? Um. Well, I don't see that as a huge mistake. I just, just no, no. But like, instead of going after money, what should you have done? Should you have gone and tried to get some at, customers? At that what, point, what should you have done? Or should you have just, just at, the, at, that, at, the at, at, at that point, based on things that we can talk about, if you if you want, I at that point it, it was time to get a job. Okay, so it was essentially done anyway. So yes. it, it didn't matter that it you did, went to it go. Didn't matter. Um, but there wasn't something else that you should have done instead, like go get customers. The same way that you got the, you built the first twenty four thousand in recurring revenue, you weren't thinking like, why the hell are we not doing the same type of actions? So at this point, we were totally to a different model, and this was just to give you a little paint the picture here. We went, got into the accelerator in January. We cut our salaries to like twenty five k or thirty k in June or July. Okay, and this was October. It was a it was a long period of time. Like, right? You know, I just I was done. And also, then how I, come I, at yeah. no point in between you guys were like, why don't we just do what we did to get the first twenty four k of re- revenue? Because were you just not excited about that business anymore? It's or? one of these things. So one thing that I've learned about myself, and I think this will prove to be right in in time. Like right now, it's not obvious, but I think it'll be right. Is I. When I fig- when I find there's something that I don't l- like doing, I kind of like stop doing it, yeah. um, and I th- and, and re- as responsibly as I can, and that's true with almost everyone, by the way. And that's just what I yeah sure so cool that may- so that's like what I did. I like didn't wa- I didn't want to spend. I'd rather get a job than than do Publoft. Right. Um, and- sometimes you have to override those things, you know. Like I can't imagine Elon having loved to spend time in the manufacturing plant to make Model Threes, right? Like, but he slept there until they fixed those problems. So right? I'll, I'll introduce another. There, there's things going. On. There are things that maybe you want to stop working on it. Um, to give you an example, I mean, to just show show you, like, I'd like to talk about the like at some point in this conversation what the journey's been like for the last eight months for me. Because you will, you will then see what it's like when you have when you when I have something that I'm trying to do, and I will stop at nothing to do it. Now, now it, you're mission driven. Yes, would, would that, you, that's the thing. Publop was not. I was not that motivated or driven by helping startups get great content. Okay, I just didn't. You didn't care. I didn't care. You wanted to do something because you loved the idea of being a founder yes. and having a successful business yes. so bad that as a younger person, yeah, right. I mean, as like five five years ago, yeah. And now, what are you doing? I am. So, in so let me let, let's so Publoft shut down. So, okay. so so I I stopped working on Publoft in November. Okay. In November, I got a job at a local company called Prenda. Okay. Which is a which is a great company here in Phoenix. Um and they were kind of Kelly's company. Right? Kelly's company. Very impressive. I'm an investor, by the way. That's 
There, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, uh, that was I worked there for about ten months. So 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 they were. I did. You know, it was great work. It did great work there. Um, lots of fun. I learned a lot. It's in some ways it didn't work out. Um, mainly because I'm just such a found, like, I still have this this part of me that's like I I want you know startup person. But I got a job at Prenda. I paid off some debt. It got stable. Great. COVID hit in March. I'm you know things are crazy at Prenda. We're all trying as hard as we can. You pro- if you're an investor, you probably know what what went down. Um, crazy stuff. Uh, but good good stuff. But there is this point where I was having, you know, I'll be just candid about it. Like I was having a hard time fitting in with the company. They were having a hard time fitting in with me. I dealt with some health stuff at this point where I think a lot of people were confused by it. And that's fair. And I kind of saw my prospects at Prenda and I'm like, all right, what do I do? COVID made an open canvas for entrepreneurship. Right. Everyone wants to start a startup. Every This, this is my shot. I've been trying to do, I, you know, I, I love startups so much. Let's help other people do this stuff. So what I did... Uh, I did it again. Uh, I, I in August, um, and then, no, this is I, I'm about 400 episodes into the podcast at this point. I'm not I'm not a nobody at this point. I'm like I have some clout. I, ha- I have some stuff for me. So in August, I quit Prenda to start a virtual community for founders. Okay, called Forward Thinking City. And no, before I before I stop before I go down this path no what I've been trying to figure out is how to m- capture the value that I've created through my podcast I without being a VC because I don't want to be a VC I've figured out how to get to early stage founders before VCs repeatedly and scalably and I want to make I want to do something with that so it was at this point where I'm like I this I'm that's my journey how do I figure out that because if I can do that I can I can find founders and direct them in, into the emerging, like the good, good kind of the good hands, like the, right. you know, you know what I mean. So in August, I started Forward Thinking City. It was like fifteen dollars a month. Got like one hundred fifty people to pay me fifteen dollars a month or some, something like that. I'm um, just, I'm good at sale. I'm good at hyping people up and stuff. Um, in October, I get two investors, uh, an early employee at Facebook, and Eric Reese. Um, right. Eric Reese is the startup. Uh, he he basically wrote the book on. Lean startup yep. or something. So that's what he's known for. What people don't know is as him as much for is he's also building a stock exchange okay. called the Long Term Stock Exchange that competes with the Nasdaq and competes with um, with uh, all the other exchanges. And the idea behind it is, you know, if you're a CEO of a public company, you have, your incentives are misaligned with the company's incentives because you are you need to do quarterly earnings every four four quarters. Right. And he thinks that is unfortunate for innovation, so he's changing that. Um, so he's that, that he most people don't know that about him, but he is a founder of founders. He's like he's like, ever, he's just he's a great founder, and he has the best investors in the world on his cap table, etc. Um, but he invested. Um, I I kept up forward thinking city going, but I, I I knew in the back of my head that like this was not going to be the thing that was going to make me a living. I don't want to have a thousand people pay me twenty dollars a month. I want to work with ten entrepreneurs still make a living and uh, um you know and, and make, make money off that help that helped guide them um so what happened is he uh he invested a, a little bit dave goldblatt invested a little bit um i pivoted the model after i realized that subscription was not the right way to capture the value i pivoted the model several times to try to figure out what the right way to capture the value is because i have i did the hard part i figured out how to find venture scale founders before vcs repeatedly like i did that like holy moly what do i do with this secret and i have been trying to figure out to be totally candid the right business model for this that isn't venture capital for the last six months and 
most recently been like kind of like been been running out of money and someone has noticed me and what i've done someone with a lot of influence and power and they've seen the podcast and they've kind of they see me they're like i see you and you should keep going and they've helped they 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 have allowed me to keep seeing this through because what's happened is is people i'm very big on twitter and at least in the tech community and people have seen the lines i've been plotting for the last three years um of this like outside like i'm an outsider i kind of broke in i'm helping other outsiders break in outsiders it's really hard to break in i've been pulling this thread of why is it so hard for a good founder to break into entrepreneur uh, to, to break into startups okay why is it so hard and that and that's the it's the thread i've been pulling for four years and now i'm I, i'm gonna be working on this for the next 20. um but what is this i mean like you, you said a lot of stuff i still don't know what is the like what is it that the new startup does? I the I don't so to, to be totally honest, this happened. <laughs> I, I I don't know. You know you're going to be working on it for the next twenty years, but oh, no, like, no, I'm working on a problem. I want to clarify. Okay, I don't know. Like I I've had the problem being that like uh, it's really it's impo- it's all nearly impossible for a true outsider to to, to, to penetrate the, the yeah and, and get the yes. Okay, so so that's the problem that you're trying to solve. Yep, but. Uh, the way in which you're going about solving it is through the podcast. You had a subscription of so- something. What were people paying for? They were paying for access to community. Like, like I had an event for with Austin Allred, who is a CEO of Lambda School. I've had I had events with a lot of people. Gotcha. I've, they can engage with but each other. You don't other. want to do that. No, because it's not the right way to capture the value. Okay. Um, so you haven't figured it out yet, but this is the this is the problem you want to focus. No, on. I, no. This is so. This is an example of with Publoft. I I was at a point where like I didn't want to try anymore. Like this was not something. Gotcha. I this this is an example of I've been iterating. Everyone knows I've been iterating for for so long on this. Um, it's not that it's it's eight months, but the journey has started of me being in out. It, it's it's been it's been a longer journey. What if what if the answer is just the the, the podcast itself. Why don't you monetize that and try to live off of uh, sort of like because it, it, it they could be so that could be like maybe the podcast gets big and then if someone comes on the podcast that's a signal then they then they that means something, but I think there's more work to be done. Um, gotcha. I, I think that there's too many great founders that don't know how to penetrate the system that just end up built giving up or building a small company that they could have had a monumental impact on the world. Um, and I see myself as one of them. Um, not like I've had success yet, but I don't know. At this point, I've been reject- rejected from Y Combinator from, for nine, uh, nine times. Nine times, interview once. And the only time I got an interview is the year that I was working at Prenda. So it was network-based. I think if but, this is but, the filtering. You know, let me, let me, okay, let me push back on that a little okay. bit too. Because like based on your own sort of experiences and where the journey that you've had, wasn't Y Combinator right to have rejected you? And who know, who like who knows? That's the thing. You don't know. But but, but like the, I know, yeah, for me, yes, sure. I'll, I'll, okay. For me, yes. But why why are there founders that I have interviewed that get rejected from YC four or five times and then and then a tier one firm invests? Like why like it's like or, forget me as but, an example. But who I'm, invests is like less re- relevant than the success stories would be the ones that actually build something amazingly successful that were first rejected by Yeah, well I I'm only in two years into the podcast, so there's no way that we can have that data yet. Right. Um, but it's just this thing where I I because of, I, I've talked to six hundred founders, five hundred fifty founders, and then we have I have conversations after the podcast with every single one of them, 
I've just learned things about right. I've just learned things and they're not obvious but this is a this is if you know I can if you want in show notes I can like share some like Twitter handles to, to follow to help you understand like help you like kind of see more of this perspective but there's something wrong in the industry um in the fact that you know there's so many people that get rejected from YC two or three or four times and they just stop trying right and they and it's because YC filters for status and that's not how the world should work. And that's it. You know, it's just me being a founder. Like, we'll see. You know, we'll see how. I... <laughs> what's What's the status that YC filters for? What school? Like, just, it's the what school did you go to? Who? You know, like, like who? Like, hold on. Let me actually before I say this, YC is one of the good ones. Like one one of the better ones. I'll say that first and foremost. I'm not here saying YC is a is a bad organization. They are a great organization. With that said, I have information from lots of founders that they even if the, even though they have an open application the process of who gets an interview is very who knows who based but they will never tell you that because why would they the people will stop applying right right but but do you think they're they're also like not as interested in services type of businesses yeah forget Publoft. like okay. they get i mean i forget my, i mean i don't care gotcha. about me i care about the like i care about the found like i'm, the I'm in service to the founder yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. not about yeah i'm not i mean not even be a good founder i might just be a better vc like gotcha. i don't know gotcha. it's not about me but but me going down this path exposed this problem for other founders for me i'm like well this is messed up yeah, because um, there's founders that are way better than me that still aren't, you know, that still aren't getting getting theirs and getting anything. While there's at the same time, there's founders that are raising, you know, I mean, you know this. There's some, there's some that like raised five million dollars on the back of a napkin just because they went to a certain school, they're in a certain family, and I'm not saying they don't deserve that, but it's just, it just doesn't. It, that dynamic doesn't feel right. That someone that has been working for two years has a great company, markets right, just can't get in because they don't know someone. But someone that was just born into a right family, went to the school, just gets it because yeah. they. It just. It just doesn't. I don't like that. I went to ASU. I love ASU. You know, <laughs> like ASU is great. Air Garage went to ASU. They couldn't get any. I, they couldn't get anything until yeah. they moved. Big investors till they moved. Mixed panel. Sahail went to ASU. Keith Ryu went to ASU. They all had to move up there. Why'd they have to do that? Right. They shouldn't have to. Right. You know? So this is a well, very... <laughs> I mean, they, they shouldn't have to, but the, I mean, the, the answer to that question, there is an answer to that question, right? And that's just that we haven't had enough successes with th those uh, that money being reinvested, whereas the Fairchild Semiconductor example that you gave is from the 50s, right? Like Those guys... Like have been at this for seventy years longer than anyone else. It's less about Phoenix and more about in the world that we live in today. What's the future look like? Like with the, with COVID and the internet. Like if like right. it's like I I very much still because of the founders I talk to. I feel like I I do think like I do kind of live in the future mentally because these are all people living in the, in the future. So I guess you're hundred percent right. But I'm thinking now that now that what's happened has happened. What's the future look like? Yeah. Who's building it? COVID does provide a great reset opportunity for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And like I do, like here's the thing, like you're right about it. everything you're saying is like you're, 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 you're correct on all of this. It's just, it's Can just like, I don't. that to my wife? <laughs> everything I'm saying is correct. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I, it's just back to the fact. I just like don't, just because it's right, correct doesn't mean I like it. No, I, I hear you know, it. you know. <laughs> All right, let, let's talk a little bit about the industry in general. Like, who, sure. do, you, who do you think um, is the most powerful tech company right now? What are the companies? Amazon. Amazon, okay. Because, yeah. 
I mean, well, I mean, that's like obviously one of the big five. I can go small right. too. Like I'm, I know, I know all, all, all gamuts, but I think Amazon because I think it's because of COVID, and we're gonna need to rely more on the infrastructure that they've built than some of. Well, it's I don't know, but you could argue that with Google. You could argue that with Apple. Um, I, but I definitely, I will say, I'm much more knowledgeable on private markets, like startups, like even big startups. I'm less of like a, I less follow like stocks and stuff. I'm more like, which startups are going to be the biggest companies tomorrow? So I, I, I maybe not the most knowledgeable on, on what's the most impactful company. You know? What startups are you most excited about right now? So there's one that I like a lot called Fast. Okay. Um, they just raised their Series A or B somewhere in there. And it's bum, It's from an outsider founder. He's, a, he's from Australia. And he just barged into what there's two things I like about the opportunity. It's the founder and it's what they do. And I'll start with what they do. They're trying to build one click checkout for the internet. Okay. Um, so kind of what Amazon did, speaking of Amazon, what Amazon did with um, their one click checkout, what if everyone else could have one click checkout too? But it was all kind of connected to the same backend. Um, I like, so that's what they are doing. What I like about it is the founder is kind of out of his mind, but he's very competent. And that's a very good combination to have. Yeah. Um, someone that's out of their mind and competent, and he's also recruited a very talented team, which is exciting. Um, and then the, the second thing is everyone thinks they're going to fail, which means I think which is just a great, you know, the obvious reason that they're obviously onto something. Right. Um, so that's one uh, that, I'm, that I'm very excited about. I'm happy to share a few more. I, I yeah, um, go for it. If if they come to mind easily, I don't want you to say no. Yeah, no, for sure. It. No, I I I. I I talk to five founders a day. Like I I, I mean, I, tell me when to stop. Really, yeah. like <laughs> I, I'll say one more. Well, let yeah. me, okay, say one more, and then actually maybe we can focus it on Arizona based. Like, wh- who's doing exciting stuff in Arizona that you're excited about? Hundred percent. So I'll start with I, as of recent years, have been less involved in in Phoenix and Arizona based um, kind of ecosystem, and I'm looking. I'm, I'm excited to change that as I as I as I you know just moved to Tempe. And I just, I'm excited to dive back in and like get to know all the startups. With that said, there are definitely a few that are very exciting. I'm very biased for the first one, um, Prenda. This right. Prenda is the most magical company I think that's being built in in the world right now. And of course, I'm biased. What Prenda is? I, I love Kelly. So like, I'm super yeah. biased, obviously, and yeah. I invested because of him. So yeah, <laughs> what a CEO! Like, we should almost. I mean, I would be happy to share some experience, some time of my time at Prenda. But it's like, what Prenda is for people that don't know is they allow um, guides, which are teachers. But guides, we could, they call them guides to start micro schools in their homes. And this might have changed a little bit since I've worked there, but I'm assuming it's, it's still pretty much the same, where five to 10 um, of these students can, can go to one of these micro schools and learn. And instead of these guides teaching everything, they facilitate learning. They, they, they use the kind of the software and the program that Prenda put together, and they, they kind of created the, the optimal learning opportunity talk about luck favoring the prepared and then COVID happens and everyone's like teaching at home so i can't i can't go into details here so don't press me on it but like ever, the mission that, I, that i've been talking about what prenda prenda has in it has um informed it has, has what happened with prenda and the fundraising and all things like that um it just aligns up with what I believe even more. Um, okay. Just I won't say anything else, but yeah. my time at Prenda reassured that I was the path that I've been going down is the right path. That there's something, you know. That's it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Who else besides Prenda? So I really like Trainual. Okay. Um, 
because Chris, and, Chris Ronzio's company. Exactly because of Chris Ronzio. Chris is a great, another great guy. Yep. I tried to invest in. Okay. <laughs> well, it, it didn't it, take it, my check. They kind of came. No, I mean, they were doing their. They were finishing their Series A, I think. Actually. Yeah. Well, like, that, that, yeah, that's fair. It's Chris is just one a very personable and nice yeah. and, and and a nice guy, um, but two, he's he's at the same time. As what I just said, he's a, a monster. He he work he he's a he's a systems monster, and he works so hard, and he's so good at hiring. And he's just one of these people where you you love to, you love to chat with him, right. you love to meet him. But then, um, but then you you see what he's what he's building, and you're like, oh wow, that guy ships. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, and I love the way he describes his company because he's like, if imagine if you bought like an IKEA furniture and it had like no instructions essentially like he goes through this beautiful spiel which I would butcher but like uh, when you watch him you're like damn I need that for my company yeah <laughs> yeah so it's, it's so good and then um, there's just one more I want to share because yeah. it's a fun story that no one knows about so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share it so quick yeah um when Jamie so Jamie and I Jamie moved into galvanize right when he was starting quick um and we got coffee or we we, we met um, and I introduced him and, and I told him to this, uh, I, I shared this software with him called Airtable. I'm like, oh, he was telling me about some business problems, the very early stage business problems. Right. I, was like, oh. I was like, oh, have you heard of Airtable? He's like, oh no, I'll check it out. And I don't, I'm sure they don't, they might still run on it now. They may not, but I know that for a, a, lo- a, year, a year, if not more, they used Airtable as their as core the- system. <laughs> and I... We'll take a small. I mean, obviously, Jamie evaluated anything. It's it's all him, but I do feel a small sense of pride of helping out a little bit by by introducing him to Airtable. But it's just I love that's that. Awesome. Just a great founder, you yeah. know, just a, such a good dude, and that's what's great about Arizona. They're all these are all such good people, right? Right. J- Jamie's gone through a lot with COVID. I mean, it almost made his company collapse, and they've come come about uh, so or to hear. gotten through it, it stronger than before, which is uh, awesome to hear. That's good. I yeah I. Don't know. I'm not as plug- I, I like as I said. I'd like to change this. Maybe we can talk about this more like after. But I, um, I'd like to like get more back in the scene here, um, much more because I kind of have like I like I have my podcast. I have my Twitter. I have my relationships. And I ha- like how can I, like how can I help? You know, it's yeah. like so so. Um, other than like those are those that I've known from a few years ago. I'm sure there's so many that have gotten started that I'm just excited to learn more about. Um, but th- those are three that that excite me. Um, yeah. You mentioned Air Garage too. I'm also an investor in Air Garage. Uh, Jonathan Barkle. Barkle, thank and you. And Scott. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Air Garage. The, yeah, I actually we, we were just actually texting a couple of days ago. The Air Garage is. I am excited to see what happens with them. Uh, they're, they're two super smart founders. Jonathan's such a good guy. Is it? Is it like? Uh, yeah, Air, Air Garage is a good, a good company. Fun, too. Funny story about that one. Let's hear um, it. So it's Scott, the uh, yeah. uh, the co-founder. So um, it, it turned out that uh, Scott's mom and I worked at uh, Microsoft together 20 years ago, right? And um, a few, uh, maybe two, three years ago when I was just advising uh, Jonathan and was about to write a check to them, uh, you know, like I happened to see Scott's mom and I don't know Scott. And she was telling me about her son and how like he's considering doing this startup and like possibly quitting. And you know, like I don't remember the details of the story. So forgive me if any listener like knows that, you know, Scott, if you're listening. And but in in any case, she's like, and I think he he's like looking to uh you know, like leave school, drop out of school to go focus on the startup full time. 
And she tells me all about the, this, and I'm like, so what does their startup do? And she talks about like, uh, you know, you know, she doesn't really understand it, but I think it's like rental of garage spaces. And I'm, and I'm like, wait, air garage? I think I just advised them to, yeah, go for it full time. <laughs> so that is, she, it was, that's funny. It was pretty funny. She was like, uh, was she happy? Was she? What did she dropped a little bit? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, no, she she's great, but um, that's funny. But it was, you know, she had the mother's concern of you know her son potentially doing something that might be, and I was like. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, but, founders are founders, you know? Yeah, like, founders exactly. are going to be founders. Yeah, but uh, those guys seem to be doing well as well. And COVID hit them as well, which uh, was unfortunate. But they, fortunately, they had enough cash in the bank to, I think, ride it through. And yep. I think they're going to be a stronger company as a result. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, there's – there's oh, there's one actually one other I'll share that I'm actually yeah, excited about. They're not Arizona-based, but they're in, they're very influential in Arizona – um, cul-de-sac. Um, okay. So, are you familiar with cul-de-sac? They're the com- they're building some kind of community thing. Right? Yep. Like the- so, okay. I actually live right next to cul-de-sac. It's not. Okay. It's not. It's, um, I use, I live right next to them, and I think what's cool about cul-de-sac is they're um, they're building like car car-free cities, um, okay. and they're starting with Tempe, Arizona. And uh, what's cool about cul-de-sac is that you know the the founder or the co-founder is um, an early employee at Open Door. Um, it wasn't an early employee at Open Door. And what I'm excited about that is is that their team is very good, very experienced and, and awesome. And it puts, I think, in a different way, in a cool way, like Arizona, like, Arizona, like people are looking at cold. It's like, oh, they're in Arizona. What's going on there? Should we move there? Should we check right. it out? I think that's cool. I, I, I like um, – I, th- I think when there's companies that start here, amazing. Companies come here, amazing. Like let's just right. you know get Arizona on the map. Because um, it's like what's, what's the, the – like the weather out right now? It's like 70 degrees. Yeah. You know, it's great it's here. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, so many cool stuff. Um, all right. I, I wanted to talk to you about one other thing because we'd scheduled this, uh, a meeting, uh, earlier and, um, and then you la- like last minute ish, you canceled on me. And later I find out you have some, uh, health issue that you wanted to talk about. Like, what is, what is it? And like, help me understand about it. Yeah. So there's a core part of my life, very core part of my life that, most people don't know about um that i think is is one reason why i am who i am and why i i kind of gone down the path that i am that i've gone down i have a neurological disorder called klein levin syndrome and what klein levin what klein levin syndrome is is every so often maybe once a year once every six months etc i go into an episode like you know an episode of deep disorientation derealization um, and like misunderstanding of the world. Um, and is it just mental or is it physical too? It's physical. Okay. Um, it's, it's, uh, there's lots of, lots of fun symptoms, symptoms, uh, with it. Um, but what happens is I, I, it's very, you know, feel if you definitely feel free to ask questions if you want, it's, it's very hard to grasp. Um, but I, I have these episodes and what happens is I go deep, 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 deep into an episode when I, when it hits and then I slowly come out over the course of one to two weeks. Oh, wow. And uh, what happens is I, um, lose, t- it's, 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 it's truly an impossible feeling to explain, but I lose touch with, with reality and I misunderstand everything around me. Um, and I, for, for, for the first couple of days I sleep for like 23 hours a day. Then when I, after I'm done sleeping, I wake up and then I'm just confused and it just kind of goes away slowly after a few weeks. And I've had 27 episodes in my life. Oh, wow. Uh, I've, you know, in the last 
11 years. And you just had one. Like I just had one week, a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. And, that's, and I don't get any notice when it happens. Um, or, you know, it just happens. And I'm like, great, you know, in right. an episode. And uh, this... You know when it's happening. I know when it's happening. Right. But once it's happening, there's nothing I can... It, 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 it kind of has me. Um, Such a crazy thing. Like it, It's very... It's one of the rarest... It's um it's very rare. Uh, it's been a struggle. Um, and I think is it a gen- genetic nope. uh, issue? Like nope. what, what, no, no. How do you? It came out of nowhere. I so I. But it's got to be gene based, right? Like, is it not like? What, is there a treatment for it? So I, I I'm on meds. Um, okay. so this is so I when I say rare, like I'm not talking about like you know one in every thirty people have it. One in, like like this is this is less than one in a million people have this. Probably way less. There's very little research done on KLS. There's very little, few people that have it that I know. Um, so this is a thing that I've, and my mom and my fiance and my family and my friends have kind of like, it's kind of been a family affair as we've dealt with it. Um, but yeah, it's it's one, one of the reasons I go down the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship path is because there's been so many jobs I've been fired from. Um, because of this. Because of episodes. I don't show up to work for two days in a row. Matt, you're lazy. You're fired. I'm like, I tell them this thing. And they like, there's two years when I first have, I had my first episode. We didn't know what it was. It was right. misdiagnosed. Like I, like, I was diagnosed with some very gnarly stuff. Um, and it took two years to get a diagnosis for Klein-Levin syndrome. And thank the Lord that we got the diagnosis. Um, Is it life-threatening? Or uh, like you just live with it all, all your I, life? I live. Uh, so it's supposed to go away um, in the mid-30s. Okay. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I'm, I, at least at this point, I'm assuming I'm just going to have another episode at some point and, and living life like that. Ha, have the episodes been more frequent or less frequent over your, time? over the whole spectrum, over the, the, the 11 year, no, ten, 10 years, 2011 spring break was my first episode. Way less frequent. It's got, okay. it's gotten better. It used That's to be, good. it used to be, uh, in college I had, I had them once a month for six months in a row, um, for the spring semester of college. Uh, it, it's been <laughs> it's it, it, it's uh, it's in many ways it's made me who I am. I've had to I've had to figure out how to deal with that, which is kind of, I think I've kind of uh, uh, created me as an independent. Like I've had to ind- like figure this out. Like no one to lean on, no one to under I mean, people to lean on, but no one understands. Like it probably sounds crazy for people listening. They probably think Matt just like get more sleep. You know, it, it's it's not how it works. You know, it's, right. um, and I think that KLS has kind of tra- trained my brain to think for myself more than I think I, I would have otherwise. And that I think is one of the reasons I'm attracted to entrepreneurship because I, um, it's, it, I've been in some situation. I've been, it's been, it's been rough. And I'll actually give you one, exa- one example related to Phoenix that, that if, if I bet some of them could be listening, um, and I bet some, if they hear this, it might make sense to them. Um, did you, did you have did you have you ever gone to the Mexico the Mexico trips with with the SPHX? I haven't yet. Those sound awesome though. I want to do that. So the second trip uh, to Mexico, um, I, I didn't go to the first one. I went to the second one. I went alone. This is this is <laughs> I haven't shared that. I haven't shared this. Um, I I go down to Mexico uh, with everyone and. Uh, and a little bit of background. This is a trip of like thirty people, yeah. forty people going to go build a home or school. Is it a school or a home? It's a home. It's home. I think it's three homes. This year was three homes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't giving for, context for, for like uh, the the poor needy yep. in Mexico. That's okay. right. Go, go ahead. And it's supposed to be like a, a great time. Like you you meet you meet the people you build the houses for. You you meet you meet everyone building. It's such a fun bonding ex- ex- experience. And I was excited to get to know some people in Phoenix. Right. 
it's the night. It's the first night, and I start to feel a little weird. And I'm like, okay, it's, you know, it's just in your head. You know, it's, sometimes I like reject that it's happening. Um, like you know, because it's like you, I'm in Mexico. Like this is a, not a good situation. Right. I wake up the next day and I'm feeling fine. I go out to build the first home, and it hits me. Um, in an episode, I, I start. I, I I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing any work. People are asking me to do things. I'm not doing anything. I am sitting by the side. I think I'm eating food because one of the I'm eating someone else's food because that's a symptom. You eat a lot. Oh wow. And so you this, seem like this big jerk, essentially, on on, the, on this trip from yep. other people's perspective because you look normal. Yes, I look okay. very, I, I look just like I look now. Um, and uh, I that's ex- got to be tough. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, uh, but what happens is that was like it, it, it kind of goes in with episodes. It kind of comes and goes sometimes. Right. So I get back from the home and I'm feeling like fine. Um, but what would happen was that was the onset. So what happened is the next day I woke up. Um, yeah, this is super personal, but I want to share it because it's just uh, I think it might line. I don't know. Might might make sense for some people that were there. I, I wake up and I'm I'm full blown in an episode. Like I'm I'm gone. I go I and I go to Jonathan uh, Cottrell. You know, he's one of my good friends. And I'm like you know crying my eyes out, scared out of my mind. I'm like I can't go. Like I'm like I'm in an episode, looking fine to him. And he's like it's you know he's like okay like it's okay you can hang out here. I'm like in Mexico in an episode. This is this is the scariest situation I've ever could have found myself in. So everyone goes build houses. I'm sitting, at, you know, I'm sitting in the house. Uh, not in the house. I'm sitting on the base camp myself and an angel. Literally, it's funny. Um, you know, angel. What, what do angel investors do? They they invest. They save companies, right? They're the first, not save, but they're the first investor and they're angels. Well, I'm laying down, um, you know, in, in one alone, just scared out of my mind. And Dan Tyre, who didn't who didn't come go to the house because he was leaving early, just comes by me. And no, he's a longtime family friend, like longtime family friend with my yeah. mom and dad. And he sees me, and he's like, "Hey, Matt, you feeling okay?" And I say what I say. I don't remember. Like I, I don't remember the episodes. I don't remember episodes well. Let me actually clarify. Um, a lot of this comes from him. And I'm like, no. He's like, uh, and he saw I was like effed up. Like I, I just was not in a good place. He's like, "Oh, do you want to like a ride back?" And I'm just like, yeah, yes, um, I do. Um, and he took me back, uh, and I don't think he. And I think I scared him after I told him so much of what, what, what actually what was going through my head at that point. Um, but he, I don't know. I, I was, I don't know. That's a story I was sharing because because a lot of people got a view of me on that trip that wasn't me. And imagine this this has happened 27 times in my life. I've gotten sororities to yeah. It's you know it is what it is, but. It, this is why I am who I am, and I just try to talk about it. But it's one of these things that no one will ever really get it. But at least I can, you know, educate, tell to tell well, them. You know, I think talking about it is important, right? Because it does it does help. I saw your Twitter feed about it a little bit, and uh, and I actually looked it up. And it is an interesting disease. It's weird the way it works, and um, yeah, I think it's important to talk about. It's it. It's one of these things where it's like you don't think it's like. It's like when you – it's like when one of these things where it's not very common, you know, right. so, no, just any anything. Like when something's not common, you, you think it won't happen to you. Like, oh, my child will be fine. Or, oh, like I won't get in a car accident. Or, oh, I won't flip in the you – know, you know, yeah. and with rare diseases, it's the same thing. And In today's world, it's even more difficult because, because you can't see it. A lot of people think it's in my head and – 
stand there like, you know, it's just shake it off, Matt. I'm like, okay, you know, see ya. Um, and it's just, I just think I, in some ways because of the personality that I am, I do have almost like a, I'm in a position of in some capacity power of because if you read the, the 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 article about it, it doesn't affect me in normal life. It affects me three percent of my life. I'm normal. Right. I'm not in an episode now. I'm, I'm right. me. So what can I do with the, the knowledge of knowing what it's like to in some parts of my life go crazy? Like you not be in a different state of mind. But most of my state of mind is normal. That's power. That, that's a state of power. What can I do with that? How can I educate people? How can I destigmatize it? I haven't done much yet. It's been a, it's been rough. And I've you've been trying to do business at the same time. Um, but, you know, if I can make it with the stuff that I've dealt with in that sense, you know, why can't someone with schizophrenia do it? Or why can't someone with, you know, with, with, the, you know, severe depression do it? You know, I, I, you know, it's just like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, that, that's, uh, I'm glad you shared it, first of all. And I think that these are the things that make us who, who we are. Everybody has a unique set of circumstances and background and, you, you know, like uh, it's it's a combination of hard work, luck, and your background and circumstances. And in some cases, it's your health issues that are going to lead to something potentially great, right, down the road. So, yeah, that's how I, that's, I actually wrote a post called how I, um, how how I how to use uh, mental illness as your superpower, or how I use my mental illness as my superpower, because it is like I, I it's it's giving me superpowers that I wouldn't have if I didn't have it. Um, so I'm blessed. To, I'm 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 cursed to have it, but I'm also blessed to have it. Yeah. yeah. It's only no other way to look at it. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Matt. Appreciate you spending time with me. Um, thanks for sharing everything that you've shared. All of the secrets of Silicon Valley. <laughs> I, 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 no problem. I could have gone. I don't know. I didn't want to go super, 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 super deep. No, hopefully, no, hopefully you get an idea. We, we got to ease the audience into it. We can't go super deep right off the bat, right? right. No. <laughs> right. Um, no, but uh, it might be fun to um, do updates. You know, Maybe we can talk about it a few months or a year down the line and, and see what has transpired over the past year, both in your life but also in the local landscape because I know you're – connected to so many entrepreneurs here and doing cool stuff yeah i um, would love to love to keep it up love to catch up you know you know on this in six six twelve months and see see where we're at then <laughs> sounds good awesome thanks again man yeah thanks for the opportunity absolutely